10, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 22 to 47 of Progress and Poverty by Henry George. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The mental power, which is the motor of social progress, is set free by association, which is what, perhaps, it may be more properly called, an integration. Society in this process becomes more complex, its individuals more dependent upon each other. Occupations and functions are specialized. Instead of wandering, population becomes fixed. Instead of each man attempting to supply all of his wants, the various trades and industries are separated. One man acquires skill in one thing, and another in another thing. So too of knowledge the body of which constantly tends to become vaster than one man can grasp, and is separated into different parts, which different individuals acquire and pursue. So too the performance of religious ceremonies tends to pass into the hands of a body of men specially devoted to that purpose, and the preservation of order, the administration of justice, the assignment of public duties and the distribution of awards, the conduct of war, etc., to be made the special functions of an organized government. In short, to use the language in which Herbert Spencer has defined evolution, the development of society is, in relation to its component individuals, the passing from an indefinite, incoherent homogeneity to a definite, coherent heterogeneity. The lower the stage of social development, the more society resembles one of those lowest of animal organisms which are without organs or limbs, and from which a part may be cut and yet live. The higher the stage of social development, the more society resembles those higher organisms in which functions and powers are specialized, and each member is vitally dependent on the others. Now this process of integration, of the specialization of functions and powers, as it goes on in society, is, by virtue of what is probably one of the deepest laws of human nature, accompanied by a constant liability to inequality. I do not mean that inequality is the necessary result of social growth, but that it is the constant tendency of social growth, if unaccompanied by changes in social adjustments which, in the new conditions that growth produces, will secure equality. I mean, so to speak, that the garment of laws, customs, and political institutions which each society weaves for itself is constantly tending to become too tight as the society develops. I mean, so to speak, that man, as he advances, threads a labyrinth in which, if he keeps straight ahead, he will infallibly lose his way, and through which reason and justice can alone keep him continuously in an ascending path. For, while the integration which accompanies growth tends in itself to set free mental power to work improvement, there is, both with increase of numbers and with increasing complexity of the social organization, a counter-tendency set up to the production of a state of inequality, which wastes mental power, and, as it increases, brings improvement to a halt. To trace to its highest expression the law which thus operates to evolve with progress the force which stops progress would be, it seems to me, to go far to the solution of a problem deeper than that of the genesis of the material universe, the problem of the genesis of evil. 
Let me content myself with pointing out the manner in which, as society develops, there arise tendencies which check development. There are two qualities of human nature which it will be well, however, first to call to mind. The one is the power of habit, the tendency to continue to do things in the same way. The other is the possibility of mental and moral deterioration. The effect of the first in social development is to continue habits, customs, laws, and methods long after they have lost their original usefulness, and the effect of the other is to permit the growth of institutions and modes of thought from which the normal perceptions of men instinctively revolt. Now the growth and development of society not merely tend to make each more and more dependent upon all, and to lessen the influence of individuals, even over their own conditions, as compared with the influence of society, but the effect of association or integration is to give rise to a collective power which is distinguishable from the sum of individual powers. Analogies, or perhaps rather illustrations of the same law, may be found in all directions, as animal organisms increase in complexity, there arise, above the life and power of the parts, a life and power of the integrated whole, above the capability of involuntary movements, the capability of voluntary movements. The actions and impulses of bodies of men are, as has often been observed, different from those which, under the same circumstances, would be called forth in individuals. The fighting qualities of a regiment may be very different from those of the individual soldiers. But there is no need of illustrations. In our inquiries into the nature and rise of rent, we traced the very thing to which I allude. Where population is sparse, land has no value. Just as men congregate together, the value of land appears and rises, a clearly distinguishable thing from the values produced by individual effort a value which springs from association, which increases as association grows greater, and disappears as association is broken up. And the same thing is true of power in other forms than those generally expressed in terms of wealth. Now, as society grows, the disposition to continue previous social adjustments tends to lodge this collective power, as it arises, in the hands of a portion of the community and this unequal distribution of the wealth and power gained as society advances tends to produce greater inequality, since aggression grows by what it feeds on, and the idea of justice is blurred by the habitual toleration of injustice. In this way the patriarchal organization of society can easily grow into hereditary monarchy, in which the king is as a god on earth, and the masses of the people mere slaves of his caprice. It is natural that the father should be the directing head of the family, and that at his death the eldest son, as the oldest and most experienced member of the little community, should succeed to the headship. But to continue this arrangement as the family expands is to lodge power in a particular line, and the power thus lodged necessarily continues to increase, as the common stock becomes larger and larger, and the power of the community grows. The head of the family passes into the hereditary king, who comes to look upon himself and to be looked upon by others as a being of superior rights. With the growth of the collective power as compared with the power of the individual, his power to reward and to punish increases, 
and so increase the inducements to flatter and to fear him, until finally, if the process not be disturbed, a nation grovels at the foot of a throne, and a hundred thousand men toil for fifty years to prepare a tomb for one of their own mortal kind. So the war-chief of a little band of savages is but one of their number, whom they follow as their bravest and most wary. But when large bodies come to act together, personal selection becomes more difficult, a blinder obedience becomes necessary and can be enforced, and from the very necessities of warfare when conducted on a large scale absolute power arises. And so of the specialization of function. There is a manifest gain in productive power when social growth has gone so far that instead of every producer being summoned from his work for fighting purposes, a regular military force can be specialized. But this inevitability tends to the concentration of power in the hands of the military class or their chiefs. The preservation of internal order, the administration of justice, the construction and care of public works, and, notably, the observances of religion, all tend in similar manner to pass into the hands of special classes, whose disposition it is to magnify their function and extend their power. But the great cause of inequality is in the natural monopoly which is given by the possession of land. The first perceptions of men seem always to be that land is common property. But the rude devices by which this is at first recognized, such as annual partitions or cultivation in common, are consistent with only a low stage of development. The idea of property, which naturally arises with reference to things of human production, is easily transferred to land, and an institution which, when population is sparse, merely secures to the improver and user the due reward of his labor, finally, as population becomes dense and rent arises, operates to strip the producer of his wages. Not merely this, but the appropriation of rent for public purposes, which is the only way in which, with anything like a high development, land can be readily retained as common property, becomes, when political and religious power passes into the hands of a class, the ownership of the land by that class, and the rest of the community become merely tenants. And wars and conquests, which tend to the concentration of political power and to the institution of slavery, naturally result where social growth has given land a value in the appropriation of the soil. A dominant class, who concentrate power in their hands, will likewise soon concentrate ownership of the land. To them will fall large partitions of conquered land, which the former inhabitants will till as tenants or serfs, and the public domain or common lands, which in the natural course of social growth are left for a while in every country, and in which state the primitive system of village culture leaves pasture and woodland, are readily acquired, as we see by modern instances. And inequality once established, the ownership of land tends to concentrate as development goes on. I am merely attempting to set forth the general fact that as a social development goes on, inequality tends to establish itself, and not to point out the particular sequence, which must necessarily vary with different conditions. But this main fact makes intelligible all the phenomena of petrifaction and retrogression. 
the unequal distribution of the power and wealth gained by the integration of men in society tends to check and finally to counterbalance the force by which improvements are made and society advances on the one side the masses of the community are compelled to expend their mental powers in merely maintaining existence on the other side mental power is expended in keeping up and intensifying the system of inequality in ostentation luxury and warfare a community divided into a class that rules and a class that is ruled into the very rich and the very poor may build like giants and finish like jewellers but it will be monuments of ruthless pride and barren vanity or of a religion turned from its office of elevating man into an instrument for keeping him down invention may for a while to some degree go on but it will be the invention of refinements in luxury not the inventions that relieve toil and increase power in the arcana of temples or in the chambers of court physicians knowledge may still be sought but it will be hidden as a secret thing or if it dares come out to elevate common thought or brighten common life it will be trodden down as a dangerous innovator for as it tends to lessen the mental power devoted to improvement so does inequality tend to render men averse to improvement how strong is the disposition to adhere to old methods among the classes who are kept in ignorance by being compelled to toil for a mere existence is too well known to require illustration and on the other hand the conservatism of the classes to whom the existing social adjustment gives special advantages is equally apparent this tendency to resist innovation even though it be improvement is observable in every special organization in religion in law in medicine in science in trade guilds and it becomes intense just as the organization is close a close corporation has always an instinctive dislike of innovation and innovators which is but the expression of an instinctive fear that change may tend to throw down the barriers which hedge it in from the common herd and so rob it of importance and power and it is always disposed to guard carefully its special knowledge or skill it is in this way that petrifaction succeeds progress the advance of inequality necessarily brings improvement to a halt and as it still persists or provokes unavailing reactions draws even upon the mental power necessary for maintenance and retrogression begins these principles make intelligible the history of civilization in the localities where climate soil and physical conformation tended least to separate men as they increased and where accordingly the first civilizations grew up the internal resistances to progress would naturally develop in a more regular and thorough manner than where smaller communities which in their separation had developed diversities were afterward brought together into a closer association it is this it seems to me which accounts for the general characteristics of the earlier civilizations as compared with the later civilizations of europe such homogeneous communities developing from the first without the jar of conflict between different customs laws religions etc would show a much greater uniformity the concentrating and conservative forces would all so to speak pull together rival chieftains would not counterbalance each other nor diversities of belief hold the growth of priestly influence in check political and religious power wealth and knowledge would thus tend to concentrate in the same centres 
The same causes which tended to produce the hereditary king and hereditary priest would tend to produce the hereditary artisan and laborer, and to separate society into castes. The power which association sets free for progress would thus be wasted, and barriers to further progress be gradually raised. The surplus energies of the masses would be devoted to the construction of temples, palaces, and pyramids to ministering to the pride and pampering the luxury of their rulers. And should any disposition to improvement arise among the classes of leisure, it would at once be checked by the dread of innovation. Society developing in this way must at length stop in a conservatism which permits no further progress. How long such a state of complete petrifaction, when once reached, will continue, seems to depend upon external causes, for the iron bonds of the social environment which grows up repress disintegrating forces as well as improvement. Such a community can be most easily conquered, for the masses of the people are trained to a passive acquiescence in a life of hopeless labor. If the conquerors merely take the place of the ruling class, as the Hyksos did in Egypt and the Tartars in China, everything will go on as before. If they ravage and destroy, the glory of palace and temple remains but in ruins, population becomes sparse, and knowledge and art are lost. European civilization differs in character from civilizations of the Egyptian type, because it springs not from the association of a homogeneous people developing from the beginning, or at least for a long time, under the same conditions, but from the association of peoples who in separation had acquired distinctive social characteristics, and whose smaller organizations longer prevented the concentration of power and wealth in one centre. The physical conformation of the Grecian peninsula is such as to separate the people at first into a number of small communities. As those petty republics and nominal kingdoms ceased to waste their energies in warfare, and the peaceable cooperation of commerce extended, the light of civilization blazed up. But the principle of association was never strong enough to save Greece from intertribal war, and when this was put an end to by conquest, the tendency to inequality, which had been combated with various devices by Grecian sages and statesmen, worked its result, and Grecian valour, art, and literature became things of the past. And so in the rise and extension, the decline and fall of Roman civilization, may be seen the working of these two principles of association and equality, from the combination of which springs progress. Springing from the association of the independent husbandmen and free citizens of Italy, and gaining fresh strength from conquests which brought hostile nations into common relations, the Roman power hushed the world in peace. But the tendency to inequality, checking real progress from the first, increased as the Roman civilization extended. The Roman civilization did not petrify as did the homogeneous civilizations where the strong bonds of custom and superstition that held the people in subjection probably also protected them, or at any rate kept the peace between rulers and ruled. It rotted, declined, and fell. Long before Goth or Vandal had broken through the cordon of the legions, even while her frontiers were advancing, Rome was dead at the heart. Great estates had ruined Italy. Inequality had dried up the strength and destroyed the vigor of the Roman world. 
government became despotism which even assassination could not temper patriotism became servility vices the most foul flouted themselves in public literature sank to puerilities learning was forgotten fertile districts became waste without the ravages of war everywhere inequality produced decay political mental moral and material the barbarism which overwhelmed rome came not from without but from within it was the necessary product of the system which had substituted slaves and colony for the independent husbandmen of italy and carved the provinces into estates of senatorial families modern civilization owes its superiority to the growth of equality with the growth of association two great causes contributed to this the splitting up of concentrated power into innumerable little centres by the influx of the northern nations and the influence of christianity without the first there would have been the petrifaction and slow decay of the eastern empire where church and state were closely married and loss of external power brought no relief of internal tyranny and but for the other there would have been barbarism without principle of association or amelioration the petty chiefs and allodial lords who everywhere grasped local sovereignty held each other in check italian cities recovered their ancient liberty free towns were founded village communities took root and serfs acquired rights in the soil they tilled the leaven of teutonic ideas of equality worked through the disorganized and disjointed fabric of society and although society was split up into an innumerable number of separated fragments yet the idea of closer association was always present it existed in the recollections of a universal empire it existed in the claims of a universal church though christianity became distorted and alloyed in percolating through a rotting civilization though pagan gods were taken into her pantheon and pagan forms into her ritual and pagan ideas into her creed yet her essential idea of the equality of men was never wholly destroyed and two things happened of the utmost moment to incipient civilization the establishment of the papacy and celibacy of the clergy the first prevented the spiritual power from concentrating in the same lines as the temporal power and the latter prevented the establishment of a priestly caste during a time when all power tended to hereditary form in her efforts for the abolition of slavery in her truce of god in her monastic orders in her councils which united nations and her edicts which ran without regard to political boundaries in the low-born hands in which she placed a sign before which the proudest knelt in her bishops who by concentration became the peers of the greatest nobles in her servant of servants for so his official title ran who by virtue of the ring of a simple fisherman claimed the right to arbitrate between nations and whose stirrup was held by kings the church in spite of everything was yet a promoter of association a witness for the natural equality of men and by the church herself was nurtured a spirit that when her early work of association and emancipation was well-nigh done when the ties she had knit had become strong and the learning she had preserved had been given to the world broke the chains with which she would have fettered the human mind and in the great part of europe rent her organization 
The rise and growth of European civilization is too vast and complex a subject to be thrown into proper perspective and relation in a few paragraphs. But in all its details, as in its main features, it illustrates the truth that progress goes on just as society tends toward closer association and greater equality. Civilization is cooperation. Union and liberty are its factors. The great extension of association, not alone in the growth of larger and denser communities, but in the increase of commerce and the manifold exchanges which knit each community together and link them with other, though widely separated, communities. The growth of international and municipal law, the advances in security of property and of person, in individual liberty, and towards democratic government, advances, in short, towards the recognition of the equal rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it is these that make our modern civilizations so much greater, so much higher, than any that has gone before. It is these that have set free the mental power which has rolled back the veil of ignorance which hid all but a small portion of the globe from men's knowledge, which has measured the orbits of the circling spheres and bids us see moving, pulsing life in a drop of water which has opened to us the antechamber of nature's mysteries and read the secrets of a long-buried past, which has harnessed in our service physical forces beside which man's efforts are puny, and increased productive power by a thousand great inventions. In that spirit of fatalism to which I have alluded as pervading current literature, it is the fashion to speak even of war and slavery as means of human progress. But war, which is the opposite of association, can aid progress only when it prevents further war or breaks down antisocial barriers which are themselves passive war. As for slavery, I cannot see how it could ever have aided in establishing freedom, and freedom, the synonym of equality, is, from the very rudest state in which man can be imagined, the stimulus and condition of progress. Auguste Comte's idea that the institution of slavery destroyed cannibalism is as fanciful as Ilya's humorous notion of the way mankind acquired a taste for roast pig. It assumes that a propensity that has never been found developed in man save as the result of the most unnatural conditions, the direst want or the most brutalizing superstitions, is an original impulse, and that he, even in his lowest state, the highest of all animals, has natural appetites which the nobler brutes do not show. Footnote on Brutalizing Superstitions The Sandwich Islanders did honor to their good chiefs by eating their bodies. Their bad and tyrannical chiefs they would not touch. The New Zealanders had a notion that by eating their enemies they acquired their strength and valour, and this seems to be the general origin of eating prisoners of war. End of footnote. And so of the idea that slavery began civilization by giving slave owners leisure for improvement. Slavery never did and never could aid improvement. Whether the community consist of a single master and a single slave, or of thousands of masters and millions of slaves, slavery necessarily involves a waste of human power. For not only is slave labor less productive than free labor, but the power of masters is likewise wasted in holding and watching their slaves, and is called away from directions in which real improvement lies. From first to last, slavery, like every other denial of the natural equality of men, has hampered and prevented progress. 
just in proportion as slavery plays an important part in the social organization does improvement cease that in the classical world slavery was so universal is undoubtedly the reason why the mental activity which so polished literature and refined art never hit on any of the great discoveries and inventions which distinguish modern civilization no slave-holding people ever were an inventive people in a slave-holding community the upper classes may become luxurious and polished but never inventive whatever degrades the laborer and robs him of the fruits of his toil stifles the spirit of invention and forbids the utilization of inventions and discoveries even when made to freedom alone is given the spell of power which summons the genii in whose keeping are the treasures of earth and the viewless forces of the air the law of human progress what is it but the moral law just as social adjustments promote justice just as they acknowledge the equality of right between man and man just as they ensure to each the perfect liberty which is bounded only by the equal liberty of every other must civilization advance just as they fail in this must advancing civilization come to a halt and recede political economy and social science cannot teach any lessons that are not embraced in the simple truths that were taught to poor fishermen and jewish peasants by one who eighteen hundred years ago was crucified the simple truths which beneath the warpings of selfishness and the distortions of superstition seem to underlie every religion that has ever striven to formulate the spiritual yearnings of man End of Book 10, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 22 to 47 Recording by Tim Makarios Idiophilus.wordpress.com